Good evening to you all. How's the sound? Yeah? If you can't hear, raise your hand. Well, big day today, eh? So, all of you newly arrived folk had a lot of talking to today. Didn't you? You got the manager's talk, and then you had the practicing and community talk, and you're all settled in now. You know your yogi job. You know where the bathroom is and that. Of course, the ones who have been here for a while are already thoroughly familiar with the routine here and the walking spaces and things, and are probably hoping it'll take you a few days to find their favorite routine. (laughs) That's interesting, you know. When one group of uh, people merges with another that have kind of held territory for a while. It's a very fruitful place to actually look at what's going on in the mind. So you've gotten the overview orientation today, or you already have it in terms of some of the pragmatics, but tonight I thought I'd do a talk that focuses on some of the uh, strategic aspects of practice that would be very good for you to hold in mind as you proceed through the next six weeks of practice. You'll receive many, many different teachings in the course of Um, the time that you have here and you'll learn a lot of dharma and sometimes there's a way in which hearing a lot of dharma can actually create a certain level of complexification about what the basic principles are you know a lot of different instructions a lot of different talks on different aspects and sub-aspects and interrelated aspects. But I thought I would start tonight by breaking down some basic things that might be helpful to you as you either launch or recommit yourself to this practice phase that we have together. So this is a meta-review of the context of the retreat so that your effort can actually be grounded and aligned with what's actually being taught and practiced here. So a clear understanding will actually help you a lot. So let's talk about some things that can support you. So the first thing I want to talk about is motivation. Motivation for practice. So ideally, this would be strong, conscious, aligned with Dharma ends, and emotionally engaged, meaning the, the emotional system would, would back up the intention. It would have some fuel to it, some, some power behind it. And of course, there's a lot of different reasons people come, come on retreat. And some of these are specific. You know, you m- might know them yourself or be able to put them into words. Sometimes they're unconscious or even inchoate. It's hard to actually say why you're here doing this. 
But if you can bring your personal motivation into alignment with what's actually offered here, you'll be able to be in harmony with the environment here and find harmony internally when you attempt to follow the meditation instructions. The, the Buddha talks a lot about karma, karma, this uh, ethical d- dimension of cause and effect that has, has so much to do with what happens when we act. And intention is very interwoven with this question of motivation and what we're doing. And the Buddha says everything rests upon the tip of intention, meaning uh, where you aim the body, heart, mind system, uh, the energy that powers the turning in that particular direction determines where things go. So intentions rooted in greed, aversion, and delusion are obviously suffering, and they lead to more suffering and further enmeshment and deluded craving and um, intentions rooted in generosity, metta, and wisdom lead to the blossoming of wholesome and the unbinding of suffering. So that's all to say that the particular intentions and motivations that you have for this retreat can make a huge difference in how things unfold here. And this is because effort, the line of effort follows intention and motivation. So if the motivation is wise skillful and aligns with wholesomeness and the Dharma, it's oriented in an empowered way. Then, especially if the paramis and the emotional energies are also engaged in how you practice, the whole process is lined up to support the goals of bhavana uh, and awakening. So, the question is, if you were to honestly answer the question now, why are you doing this intensive meditation practice? What would you say? So just like take that question up in your mind for a moment. Why? Why are you doing it? So this is important to know because when you ask yourself, especially when practice is difficult, the question, why am I doing this? (laughs) What do you say back to yourself? Why am I doing this? What was I thinking? So motivation that's deep and powerful and altruistic is a real major practice resource. You can consciously reflect upon it to generate energy, faith, resolve. And this would be hugely supportive to your, your ability to continue, to really keep engaging with what's going on here through the highs and lows, the hills and, and valleys of it all. So the number uh, one point I want to make with this talk, the first one, is review your motivation, and if it's necessary, bring it into alignment with what's actually going on here. And, you know, it's important to say that what's going on here is actually not about fixing yourself 
or problem solving your life. Oh, half the group gets up and heads for the exit. <laughs> so, but it's actually about waking up to reality and finding wise, empowered relationship to it. Now, if you can find wise, empowered relationship to reality, you can see that that might also help in other ways, right? If the mind is grounded, connected, in balance, it opens up many, many potentialities, including a lot of very personal potentialities and relational potentialities. But, um, you know, if, you, if in your practicing you practice you come in and you're measuring how it's going or how you're doing or, you know, whether you're good yogi or all the rest of that, on the basis of, of whether or not your uh, practice is easeful and pleasant or wh- whether you feel you're sufficiently reforming your personality or something, that's a false, stan- a false standard, it's a false measurement. So see what you can find that's actually aligned with dharma intention. That's deep, that's, that's resonant. The second thing to keep in mind as a part of your framework is the, the relevance and importance of what's called wise intention, wise intention. So those of you who are familiar with the, the teachings of the Eightfold Path may recognize that term. So the, the first step on the Noble Eightfold Path, of course, is wise view. But then the second part of the Eightfold Path is what's called wise intention. This you can see the the tie-in back to motivation and karma. So this, this particular part of the path act is actually saying that if you look at the, the direction of the practice path and the attitudes that, that should be uh, encouraged in the practice path and you understand what's being cultivated in the practice path, there are three things in particular that the Buddha talks about. He talks about renunciation. He talks about uh, compassion and metta. So you should read those three things as um, being intricately entwined with everything that's going on here, infused into the whole body of teachings and informing the whole body of teachings. So this has to be, this understanding of these these three things needs to be, uh, be Uh, held as a significant part of your context as you go along uh, spending your time uh, feeling your feet and uh, the end of your nose. This is all about the larger emotional, moral field of the training. So, wise intention answers this question about what's the direction of this path. And as part of the retreat framework, wise intention should show up in many different ways. So let's talk about renunciation first. 
This is the favorite of all Westerners. We love renunciation. I I can remember once there was a a senior Dharma teacher being here uh, talking to IMS people about the Dharma and teaching the Dharma and what she felt was undertaught in the Dharma. um, She said, I think we really under-teach renunciation. We don't want to teach renunciation. And somebody uh, in, in the group raised their hand and they said, well, that's because it sounds too much like denunciation. Denunciation of pleasure. Ooh, that would be an upstream uh, thing for our culture. But that's a wrong <coughs> view about what it actually is. So uh, this nikama in Pali, renunciation has uh, a lot of different aspects to it, but one way to define it would be that it has to do with letting go of the orientation or tendency to turn everything towards pursuit of the pleasant, uh, towards rejection of the unpleasant, and towards disconnection with the neutral. So, you know, we would all like to just have the up or version of experience, right? The pleasant, Vedana. And we really try to have just the pleasant Vedana. But that very process of having just the pleasant Vedana and avoiding what is unpleasant or more challenging or difficult actually creates a huge uh, stressful distortion in our entire Uh, body-mind field because there's no way that we can turn the selectomatic to that and have only that experience. And the retreated, uh, repeated attempt to do that, to make that happen, make that happen, make that happen, make that happen, keep that from happening, keep that, keep that, absorbs huge amounts of uh, energy that could otherwise go in the direction of finding wise relationship to what is actually present. So even though it's uh, uh, dysfunctional, it's very deeply uh, ingrained tendency of mind. And renunciation is really uh, teaching, teaching the, the being, the heart-mind, that wisdom involves learning to meet the full palette of experience and orienting uh, the mind to receptivity and wise relationship to what arises rather than just trying to get what we want moment to moment all the time and repeatedly failing, which, but occasionally succeeding, which has the subjective effect of actually causing us to double down on the <laughs> attempt to get it the way we want it and keep it that way. So, rather than using pleasantness as the orienting principle, we train the mind to let go, to connect in real time with what's actually happening. Then instead of spending our our energies on the scheming and grasping for preference, we come into the moment and attend here and now with what's actually there. So in doing this, the mind actually can unify its attentional capacities 
rather than leaning in a thirsting way forward towards imagined gratification, which is an, a way of saying uh, craving combined with delusion, which is the Buddha's definition of suffering. So one way to describe the practice of renunciation is, the, is that it's the practice of non-addiction. Non-addiction. So it's much easier to meditate if the mind can let go of trying to operationalize preferences. In fact, uh, if the mind is operationalizing preferences, practice doesn't go anywhere except into dukkha. But see for yourself about that one. I had uh, somebody say to me once they were t- talking about their, their practice and they said, um, yeah, it was really good. It was, all po- it was all positive. I said, oh, all, all positive. Tell me, tell me about that. And as, the, as the, the yogi was describing the all positive, um, we, we came upon another translation for that description, which was pleasant. You know, we've got, this is deeply ingrained in us, right? If it's pleasant, it's positive. It's, if it's unpleasant, it's negative. Hmm. But there, there's something problematic about that schema because built into the, the tapestry of conditioned experiences, this alternation of pleasantness and unpleasantness, pleasantness and unpleasantness, and neutrality, Right? The Buddha talks about this in the Eight Worldly Winds. He talks about this many other places in the teachings that you know we can't we can't uh, control conditioned arising. We can, at uh, our most empowered, contribute wise attention and wise intention. As one of the uh, the conditions with which we work with reality. But we don't actually, we cannot like go back and undo the front-loaded conditions that can arise in the present, right? And manifest. But we would like to, but we can't. Nor can we control the conditions that will arise in the future. So where's our power place? It's right now. So... On retreat, we can support the renunciation attitude in a number of ways, including just the simplicity of the group living conditions that you that you have here. Um, you know, this is an, a nice place to be, and the bathroom's down the hall. Right? It's a nice place to be, and you, you know, you don't have your your uh, uh, big screen. You know, <laughs> you don't have your own fridge. So, can you accept? Uh, the conditions that are that are here and work with it. So another opportunity for renunciation is doing a yogi job not of our choice. So actually there's a huge amount that can actually be learned from uh, yogi jobs. Huge amount. Some of the most interesting uh, dharma insights can arise there when you carry mindfulness into, into uh, these times that aren't part of the formal uh, sitting schedule. 
Taking the precepts and keeping them is another act of renunciation. Giving up digital devices and connection with the larger world. Keeping the retreat structure and schedule. Practicing moderation in regard to available sense pleasures in areas like, you know, eating and bathing and sleeping and that kind of thing. Moderation. Uh, Taking the practice instructions to heart versus freestyling in whatever way one might think would be the most fun and interesting. (laughs) I know they said that, but what if I... uh, That'd be good. uh, Let me see. That'd be interesting. Um, The Buddha says uh, about renunciation, the impulse I want... And the impulse I'll have, lose them. That is where most people get stuck. Without those, you can use your eyes to guide you through this suffering state. So what's what's he saying there? He says that if you're not being uh, pushed by this uh, craving tendency of mind, the mind can instead rest in reality in presence, in a way that isn't suffering because you don't have the, uh, the craving-powered, lean uh, forward going on all the time. The energies are reserved for meeting what's actually there, working directly with reality in real time. So, you know, if we can... In- embrace this as a value, we can let go of a lot of distractions to practice. So then if sense craving comes up, and it will, we can learn to work with it rather than follow it. So in letting go of this attempt to manipulate what we experience, we can actually gain skill in how to be okay in conditions that don't meet our preferences. And that directly undercuts diluted craving, which is the main manifestation of ignorance. So, how often would you say we experience conditions which do not meet our preferences? (laughs) Would you say that is never, rarely, sometimes, once in a while, Frequently, often, almost always. So, that would be an important thing to know how to do because there's so much of it. So, instead of trying to adjust the retreat experience here to you, you should try... uh, practice largely conforming the mind with the experience offered by this environment. How's that for a thought? Instead of trying to adjust the retreat experience here to you, you should practice largely conforming the mind with the experience offered by this environment. Oh, now we're getting Buddhist. (laughs) Uh, Except what's here. 
So, of course, if that's unskillful, right, that's a different situation. But we have to have intellectual honesty about that. Is it unskillful or is it just we don't really want to? Because those are often two different things. Hmm. All right. The other aspects of wise intention are uh, goodwill and compassion, metta and karuna. So these principles, again, uh, should be kind of uh, in the foreground of your framing of what's going on here um, as you go through the retreat and you do your practice. So these are cultivated in uh, regard to what's experienced as well as in, in regard to ourselves and others. So as a a backdrop to this, of course, you know that learning how to practice and practicing is challenging, right? If if it wasn't challenging, we wouldn't need to practice, right? Our minds would already be, well, let's say (laughs) well-adjusted, you know? We would be just present with everything. It would just kind of like flow through just the way that it is. The mind wouldn't reject or disconnect or grasp. In other words, we'd be an arhat. Um, But we know that circumstances here, events here, arisings can be difficult and painful and frustrating. And this can really bring up, uh, in addition to anger or sometimes fear, uh, self-judgment, blame, frustration, shame, tendencies towards self-abandonment. Anybody ever experienced any of those things in practice? <laughs> okay. So, and th- these, are, these are common enough experiences for, for people, widely installed within us by our uh, upbringing and by broader cultural forces. And often these attitudes are semi-conscious, although they certainly can become conscious-conscious during meditation practice, which has the... Uh, the effect sometimes of uh, opening uh, the doors into the mind's uh, usually unconscious conditioning. And then, you know, you see, like, something's going on bad, and then you notice the mind has this flight of self-critical thoughts, or, you know, you're giving yourself a bad performance recommendation. You know, your (laughs) mind is saying, fire his ass, fire his ass, fire his ass. Well, but you can't fire your ass, right? So there you are, stuck with your mind. So there's a certain way in which we need to challenge the mind's tendency to turn its energies against itself in times of difficulty. And this is really important. So we need to to learn how to be reliably self-supporting and self-encouraging and not to be seduced by self-hatred. So this is one of the reasons that metta and compassion must be seen as core practice principles and why they're included so early in the Eightfold Noble Path under the heading of wise intention. So we need to read these attitudes of mind into every instruction we hear on retreat and call this quality forward in every sitting that we have. Because you're not gonna you're not gonna punish yourself into waking up. 
So we need to find a, a path of self-encouragement. And we all know that we do plenty of thinking on retreat, right? And plenty of talking to ourselves on retreat in certain kinds of ways. Um, if we're going to be talking to ourselves on retreat, can we talk, be talking nice to ourselves on retreat? <laughs> can we incline the mind to develop the, uh, the voice of self-support? So, you know, if we don't consciously develop these, then we don't have uh, protection from wrong view and we'll struggle much more when we have difficult things arise. So for this, this reason, uh, specific periods of meta practice, uh, I often recommend it daily for people, sometimes more often, can be really empowering and strengthening to the mind. Because even though you're not directly doing insight meditation practice, you're softening the aggressive tendencies of the mind, which has the effect of creating more internal stability, less resistance, uh, more receptivity towards what is arising, nonviolence in respect to what's being known, which would be one way uh, nonviolent, receptive, interested receptivity would be one way that you could define the quality of mindfulness. So Brahma Viharas are very empowering and and strengthening. They can brighten the mind, they can ground it in uh, wise intention when it turns to Vipassana practice. Then you're going into it with, with, in a certain kind of way of speaking, your own hand on your own shoulder. Or Sometimes I'll say to people, it's okay, baby cakes. So it's very um, grounding and wholesome attitudes of mind. It's very protective and strategic. Because then the effort that you're making is well aligned with the overall uh, vector of Dharma development and practice. So it's aligned, it's congruent. The two practices... uh, are supporting themselves. And then uh, the last piece to be aware of is patience, the need for patience or the value of patience. So dharma unfolding is completely lawful. It's not accidental, it's not random, it's not... Things don't uh, arise out of nowhere we often can't see or don't know the conditions that lead uh, things to arise in particular ways to be known. We know some general principles and the the Buddha talks about them a lot. The Buddha saw how suffering was created and constructed and then he was able to see and describe how it can be deconstructed. So that's part of his great genius. He came to realize what's going on when we're suffering. What causes and conditions are there that are causing this suffering? 
then what can be done to address those conditions or respond to those conditions or shift those conditions or set in motion the, the opening and the development of a different set of conditions that undercut that suffering. So all of those insights are contained in the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. So if we think about what goes on here uh, in terms of our practice on this insight meditation retreat, in a, in a sense, we're getting a guided tour into the Buddha's own insights as they're illustrated in the arising and passing away of our own subjective experience. So we're training our mind to connect with our own experience in real time within the practice framework and to learn from it. Learn from it. So we're figuring out how to be, be functional in relationship to what is known moment to moment. So you could say that this whole process is uh, experiential immersive learning. We learn from the inside through sustained connection to what arises at the, the six sense doors. And part of what we see, just like Buddha saw for himself when he looked at his own mind, was we see the mind grasp for control and then suffer. Right? I don't want this to happen, I want this to happen. <laughs> We see the mind let go and then release suffering. You know, we get, we get uh, confused about what's going on and about what relationship we should take to it. You know, what am I experiencing right now? Well, I'm not really sure. What should I do? I don't really know. Maybe I should try this. Maybe I should try that. Right? The, you know, one of the questions that can come up for us is, what is wise relationship uh, in respect to this thing that's being experienced? Uh, and then there's the, the challenge of finding that wise relationship. You know? So if you're going to uh, look at this path of learning, you know, we, we start with the, the bhavana and the understanding, the attentional skills, the paramis, etc. that we have at the beginning of a, a practice period. If we skillfully deploy them, if we learn how to, to work with what we've got in relationship with what arises, we develop more and more clarity and more and more skill in being able to, to meet what's there, which leads to further clarification and strengthening of, of the mind. You know, we wake up, we fall asleep, we wake up, we fall asleep. Sometimes we literally fall asleep. Mm-hmm. No, we remember the practice rules and apply them. What they say when this happens, what are you supposed to do? Okay, that's anger, okay. Anger, anger. Oh, unpleasant, unpleasant. Sensation, sensations. Heat, 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 heat. Not liking, not liking. We forget the practice rules. (laughs) It's like, screw that. I don't see where this is going. I think I could walk out now, you know. They'll just think I need to pee. <laughs> I... <sighs> yeah. you know, or maybe we remember the rules, but we don't want to apply them. 
yeah, I know the rule is to go with whatever is predominant in real time, but you know, I think if I listened, I could hear the birds again. And that was good. Or sometimes we can apply them, but then uh, what happens isn't what we think should happen. You know? We'll be applying a practice rule to a particular emotion or, or thought or something. Um, uh, yeah, pr- practicing with it, practicing with it. And then at a certain point we might notice, well, let's see, ah, uh, it's still happening. <laughs> that can be revelatory, can it not? <laughs> the, the, the old practice in order to mind the... Huh? So this whole process is actually a massive adventure and clarification of cause and effect. So there are many uh, seeming dead ends where things unfold in ways that are at variance to what we think should be happening. You know, and we don't like that. It's like, I'm being a good yogi, I'm coming to all the sittings, I'm sitting down, and, you, know, my, I, you know, I was falling asleep this morning and now I feel restless, and it's like, you know... Now I feel like, oh God, what am I, am I even doing this? It's like I feel sad. It's like, oh, what did I think I could do this? I'm just not the kind of person that could do this. It's like... So there are a lot of things that happen that we don't want to have happen. So what are we seeing in the arising of many things that happen that we don't want to have happen? You're seeing the level of the mind's resistance to reality as it is in real time. Which, and another way to put that would be, you're seeing dukkha. So, we suffer until we learn to drop the whole reflex of deluded preference that tries to control what it can. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. So, you know, the speed of learning might not be to our satisfaction. Or maybe what arises isn't our uh, criteria uh, or uh, preference. But here's where you really need to find some patience and go back to the beginning of the virtuous cycle and Uh, reground yourself in strong and wholesome motivation, in renunciation and metta and compassion. You know, to find that place of self-support where the inner coach arises and says, hey, hey, wait a minute, uh, brother or sister now, let's say now, now why are you here? Why are you here? What's your intention in being here? And this is where you can see that, you know, an intention like, well, you know, I wanted to lose 15 pounds and I figured if I ate light at night and at the end of six weeks I'd be, you know, size and a half smaller. Okay, that is not going to carry you (laughs) through this process. You know, you're going to have to find something (laughs) deeper than that. So... Strong uh, and wholesome motivation, renunciation. Okay, I'm here 
to learn something. I'm here to, to let go of the uh, addiction to immediate gratification and learning how to connect with what's really here. Even when it's difficult, it's challenging. Even when it's not <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> to my satisfaction. Even when I object to its content. Can then the mind find the place of metta and compassion and bring forward those energies of the heart-mind? And if you're going to give yourself a talking to, can you give yourself a talking to along the lines of, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Oh, man, this is like, oh, 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 this is really, (laughs) this is really hard. And you know what? That's okay. Don't need to make anything happen. You know, there's, this is not a foot race. You can start as many times as you need to start again. If the mind is too tangled up in knots, it might be time to have a cup of tea. You know, remembering the intention. Choosing uh, strategies that support you in being able to continue to engage, continue to in, invest what's the deep, deepest and Uh, best and most developed parts of yourself into this process of gradually, gradually claiming additional territory for the wise and awakened aspects of yourself. I think that one of the, the most interesting descriptions of this practice um is that it's agricultural. So it's not mechanical, it's agricultural. So if you can consider the difference between, you know, uh, putting a car up on a lift and taking off the, uh, you know, the oil filter and draining the bad oil and putting a new filter on and putting some more oil in there. This is not that. This is more like taking a look at a at an outdoor place with that has its own ecology, its own set of plants there, and engaging in the agricultural process of cultivation. Okay, what do I need to do here? Well, okay, maybe there's some amending of the soil that needs to to take place here. You know, maybe I need to spade this particular kind of fertilizer into the soil. Oh, I can see that this particular uh, plant over here, maybe it should actually uh, be taken out, or maybe it should just be pruned a little bit. You know, maybe if I, uh, you know, planted this here instead of there, then it would open up. Right. So it's a more organic kind of development, a more organic kind of intelligence that's whole system intelligence that's involved with what goes on here. Intuitive. It engages your rational mind, all of your intellectual capacities. It engages you on the emotional level. And then there's this huge element of it where the unconscious or the intuitive mind is also in play and guiding you as you go along. Unknown strengths. 
right? So, you know, part of your challenge is to, to find a way to work with your body-mind system so you can bring all those, those aspects into some kind of unification of uh, wise effort that's directed towards the, the skillful and deep motivation that you've identified for yourself. So feel in the breath at the belly or the end of your nose. Yes, this is, this is the method. This is method. And then there's a much bigger context in which all of this is, is taking place. So this is the way that we take on responsibility and the, the joy of our own evolution in the direction of our own happiness and well-being and that of others. So those are uh, the insights I'd like to offer you tonight. Um, knowing your motivation, seeing it as a resource, bring it forward when appropriate, looking in the direction of wise intention, remembering renunciation, uh, being willing to practice with what's there, finding self-support with, uh, with uh, goodwill and kindness and compassion towards yourself, and patience. So I think that's good for now. May the many wholesome factors of our hearts and minds be brought forward to open further. And may we learn to find liberation and peace through our own effort. May we awaken completely for our benefit and well-being and for that of all beings without exception. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.